Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Uh, many times I have been asked on both this show and in my pulpit life about why Jews and Christians have so much in common and where their history intersects. This morning, my guest is Rabbi Stephen Weiland, who has written a wonderful book entitled The Jews in the Time of Jesus, and we are going to discuss some of the questions that evolve from our shared history. Rabbi Weiland is the... Um, Rabbi now serving as the interim rabbi in Temple Beth Rishon and has served as the rabbi, Temple Beth Rishon is in Wyckoff, New Jersey, and he served for 20 years as the rabbi of Temple Beth Tikva in Wayne, New Jersey, and prior to that served congregations in Huntington, West Virginia, Scranton, Pennsylvania. He is the author of many books. His first published book was entitled Settings of Silver and has been used as uh, a, an important uh, introduction to Judaism book in universities and also for adult education. He has written a textbook on Jewish holidays for the liberal movement of Judaism known in the United States and Canada as the Reform Movement. The book is entitled The Book of the Jewish Year as well as the book that we're going to speak about today, The Jews in the Time of Jesus. So I want to welcome Rabbi Weiland to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, uh, and welcome to Canada. Thank you. Nice to be here with you. Well, and hello, Canada. Right. Hello, Canada. I should mention that my wife's sister is a Canadian uh, landed immigrant. Ah, British Columbia. There you go. Well, our show may not reach uh, that far, but our cat podcasts do. So perhaps your wife's sister will hear you on the air. Um, but she actually lives on Tuxedo Island, where things might arrive 10 years later. <laughs> like most uh, things that happen off the west coast of Canada. <laughs> yes. Um, I do want to take this opportunity to tell you what a wonderful book it was and how informative it was, and it led me to want to have this chat with you on the radio show. And so let us begin with um, my simply asking you to tell the listeners a bit of an overview of the book. The book is about the Jewish world of Jesus. When I was teaching at Marshall University in West Virginia, I was asked to teach a section of the course, The Life of Jesus. And I decided, for two reasons, to continue the course in my own direction. Uh, first of all, because I'm a rabbi, I'm most comfortable teaching the Jewish world in which Jesus lived. And secondly, that's a good direction to go, because there is very little absolute biographical information we have about Jesus of Nazareth himself, despite the four Gospels, but there's a lot more that we know about the world he lived in. So whatever a Jewish carpenter boy from the Galilee in first century Judea would have been living, that was the world of Jesus. And so when you say there's um, 
a dearth of information um, about Jesus as a historical figure. Um, you're referring to both uh, the Synoptic Gospels and John and some of the um, additional material that might be Roman or Greek um, or, Jews, or Jewish, correct? It's pretty much limited to the, um, to the four Gospels. Uh, Jesus, nobody in his time knew that he was going to become the foundational figure of the world's largest religion, so there wasn't a lot written about him. And the only thing outside of the Gospels that mentions him is a passage from the Jewish historian Josephus, who wrote about the Jewish rebellion against Rome. Correct. And that passage is considered by many historians, including myself, who probably have been put in there later by a Christian writer. So we are largely limited to the Gospels themselves. Uh, other things that are written about Jesus in other documents, non-canonical Gospels, uh, Jewish writings, Roman writings, come from a much later time and really reflect beliefs about Christian religion rather than the biography of Jesus himself. So when we speak or, about the time of Jesus, yeah. Rabbi, you're speaking about that first century of the Common Era, and perhaps yeah. you could share with the listeners, um, what was the Jewish world like then, in there which we would have found in, this figure known as Jesus? Yes, Jesus lived in the country of Judah, really the kingdom of Judah, which was one of the provinces of the Roman Empire. A small province, but a very important province because of its location, uh, a location that is central to the world even today between Africa and Asia, and also because it stood on the boundaries of the Persian Empire, which was the Romans' most important rival for power in the world. Um, so the, the kingdom of Judah was an important place, and it was a place that was in turmoil because it did not have a established internal leadership. The ancient line of the high priesthood that had gone all the way back to King David had disappeared about 150 years before. The leaders of the country, whether the king appointed by the Romans or the high priest also appointed by the Romans, of the internal leadership were not considered to be valid by many of the people. So people were looking for some other kind of leadership. In those terms, we can understand the earliest use of the word Messiah in first century Judaism, which essentially meant you weren't happy with the high priest. If you weren't happy with the high priest, you wanted a restoration of the Vedic kingship, which in that very limited sense was the original meaning of the word Messiah the restitution of the Davidic line as leader of the... Yes, the Davidic line to have kings who would replace uh, the Herodians or the Roman-appointed governors right. or the high priesthood, which was considered corrupted by many. Uh, people in first century Judah revered the, uh, the role of high priest, but they did not necessarily think that the people filling that role were appropriate or legitimate or living up to the greatness of the role. Of the expectations of the role. And, the expectations of the role. And during this time, do we have the development in, uh, of uh, rabbinic Judaism as we've come to know it today, or is that a much later development? One of the reasons that this is such an interesting period of study 
is that Jewish religion as we know it, as well as the Christian religion as we know it, both came from first century Judea. People often mistakenly say that Moses was the founder of the Jewish religion. Moses is the central figure of a biblical religion, which was the religion of the Jewish people for the first thousand years of their history, but that was not yet Judaism. The Jewish religion itself, the rabbinic writings, call Hillel and Shammai the founding fathers of Judaism. The Avot, the founding fathers. Right, and Hillel and Shammai as historical figures we trace to the first century before the Common Era? They, they, Hillel would have died right around the time or shortly after the time that Jesus was born. Okay, so somewhere around... They're almost contemporary. So in other words, Judaism and Christianity, as we know them, both came out of the same soup pot. I think of it like a, a lot of, like a kosher bouillabaisse, a lot of you know, pieces of fish floating around in right. the broth. And that broth was Jewish life in first century Judea. Out of that broth, different pieces came out, which became great world religions, Judaism, Christianity. And it sounds like, as you describe it, that this uh, bouillabaisse of religious life was truly chaotic. Um, a good bouillabaisse may provide a melange of taste that mingle together. But first century uh, Judea sounds, in fact, as if it was really chaotic. Tremendously chaotic. And a lot of the pieces in that chaos are mentioned in the Gospels, also in rabbinic literature, sometimes in similar terms, sometimes in different terms. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were Essenes, although they're not called Essenes in the, in the New Testament. Um, there were Samaritans, there were the Herodian rulers, there were the Roman rulers, there were the high priestly families, uh, there were people of priestly descent who had gone off to live in the desert because they wanted to create a more purified version of the high priestly community, and there were new religious ideas floating about, which had started with the revolt of the Maccabees against the Greek Empire some hundred, 150 years earlier, and we're evolving ever since then, like the idea of the oral law, the concept that besides the written scriptures, there is the oral tradition of Judaism is the primary guide for Jewish living. The people who are known as Pharisees and their spiritual descendants, later known as rabbis, were the scholars of this oral tradition, which became the basis of Judaism. So the actual scriptures of Jesus would not have been just the written Torah and Prophets, or Law and Prophets, as they are often translated into the Greek, um, but the Law and the Prophets plus this rich oral tradition, which you can only know about by studying Jewish sources. So you can't know about the, the religious world, even the scriptures of Jesus, just by reading the, the Bible, Bible Old right. Testament. You have to know something about early rabbinic teachings. And so into this cauldron of religious chaos... Um, or out of it, perhaps better said, emerges a figure known as Jesus. And I guess the question that I want to ask you to try and explain to our listeners this morning is why should Jews be interested in the role that, Jewish, that Jesus played in this first century uh, life of the kingdom of Judea? I think it's quite natural that Jews would be curious about Jesus, 
because the Jewish people are 3,000, 3,500 years old. The religion that we live as Jews, the religion of Passover and Sabbath observance and, and the commandments of the Torah, that religion is 2,000 years old and evolved surrounded by a Christian world, a world which was predominantly Christian, at least since the uh, 4th century when the Roman Empire became officially Christian. So just like a fish swimming in the Atlantic Ocean would want to know something about the Atlantic Ocean, uh, a Jew swimming through the last 2,000 years of history would wish to know about the sea of religious belief in which we swim, which is the sea of the Christian world. Jews, I think, have always been curious about Jesus, but until the modern age, we're never able to ask because of the world of religious intolerance that existed before the modern age. If a Jew dared to ask, tell me about Jesus, he would have to convert afterwards to Christianity or else be burned at the stake. So Jews might have been curious, but they could not ask. In the modern age, with religious liberty and freedom of inquiry and all the great ideals of the American Revolution and, and the Enlightenment, Jews for the first time were free to ask, who is this person, Jesus? And at the same time, Jews were anxious to demonstrate the Jewish roots of Jesus because we were being granted citizenship in the modern democracies of Western Europe and the United States and the Americas. Uh, the Jewish identity of Jesus uh, was one way of demonstrating to our Christian neighbors that we are deeply connected and deserve our role in the broader society as fellow citizens. So are you, are you surprised seeing... people now to know that, that many Christians would have been and are still surprised to find out sure. that Jesus was a Jew. They might think he was a Christian, but he was a Jew. And he would have lived... Um an exclusively Jewish life during his lifetime, in as much as what we call Christianity only developed significantly later than his lifetime. Um, are you suggest This is actually a, a very sensitive topic in, in Jesus' historical scholarship, which is, to what extent was Jesus a founder of Christianity? Certainly not in the same sense that the Buddha founded Buddhism or that Muhammad founded Islam, because the Christian religion largely evolved after the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, at the same time, many Christians would like to say, well, surely Jesus, our central figure, must have had some, something to do with the founding of Christianity. So that question becomes a hot-button issue, and I don't think it should be answered in a yes or no way. I, I think, as a good historian, that we should take individual topics and ask on each individual topic, in terms of this topic, did Jesus teach the Judaism of his time, or did he teach something new and different that led to the Christian religion? Well, could you ask it in a different way and ask, using the Gospels as a primary source, would you venture a guess as to whether the message that's associated with Jesus was addressed to the Jews of his time or to those who would have come later and who would have been primarily identified in some other way? Yes, Jesus spoke Aramaic. He did not speak Greek. All of his followers spoke Aramaic. And Which would have his, made them closer to the community of Jews who lived in the uh, kingdom of Judah. 
his preaching was exclusively towards Jews. And uh, it is notable that in his wanderings around the shores of the Sea of Galilee, that he never went to Sepphoris or to Tiberias, which in his time were Greek towns in the Galilee. He avoided those places, although they were near Nazareth, and he went only to Jewish communities. So I would say that his message was only to Jews. But at the time that the four Gospels were being written, the question of whether Christianity was a Jewish religion or a Gentile religion was a hot question for Christians themselves. And so they project that question into the Gospels. That makes it a little more difficult to answer to it uh, in simple declarative statements. Um, yes. you, you've spent a bit of time talking about why it was important for Jews to understand the origins of Christianity. If we turn the question around, in your experience, why is it um, important for Christians today to understand the history of the Jews in the first century? Christians of our time want to know Jesus as a person. And that was not true until the modern age. With the humanism of the modern age, Christians became very interested in Jesus the person. As I would illustrate this, uh, it was not uncommon in the old days for a Christian church to be named Christ the King, whereas nowadays Christians like to say, you have a friend in Jesus. You can hear the difference there, that uh, the meaning of Christ in the path to salvation used to be the, the pretty much the, the primary focus of Christians, around which the person of Jesus of Nazareth played a minor and sometimes insignificant role. Uh, with the modern age, uh, beginning around the time of the American Revolution, although originally in Germany, uh, Christians once said, we want to know more about Jesus. And that quest brought them squarely to first century Judea, to the Jewish world, which was uncomfortable for some of the earliest scholars of this who were uh, Germans, not always friendly towards the Jews, sometimes unfriendly, uh, but they, they had to uh, come to the fact that when you, when you study the life of Jesus, you are studying Judaism. Is that why so many of the early scholars of Old Testament um, were one of the reasons why some of the earliest scholars of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Bible, were Christians, using it as a source of understanding the world in which Jesus came from? The earliest scholars were pretty much all Germans in the 19th century, some English people and some Scandinavians, but mostly Germans. And their earliest attempts at writing a biography of Jesus were really attempts to express a new type of Christianity for the modern world. So not Catholicism. Um, not Catholicism, and, and not and, historic Protestantism, right. although these were all Protestants originally, but a, a kind of Protestantism that was more consistent with the goals of the Enlightenment. So as Enlightenment impacted on Judaism and its understanding of itself, you're suggesting that the Enlightenment, the uh, belief in rationalism as a counterweight to uh, faith, impacted on Christian scholarship as well. Rationalism and individualism were the two parts of the Enlightenment that really transformed uh, historical studies of both Christianity and Judaism. And as both Christians and Jews, for their own reasons, searched into the origins of their religion, 
they eventually figured out, hey, you know what? We're studying the same subject. Early Christianity and early Judaism are not two different subjects. They are the same subject. And if we would compare notes, we could learn a lot more about ourselves as well as each other. So that's how it came about. You, you've indicated um, a number of times in our chat this morning um, the importance of the Enlightenment, um, the notion of rationality and individualism, and its impact on um, scholarship related to the first century of the Common Era. I want to switch for a moment and ask you, do you think this scholarship has um, significantly impacted on religious beliefs, either strengthen them or weaken them? Has our greater historical knowledge of Jesus as our friend rather than as our king, and the same I would think you could uh, suggest of Judaism, perhaps with different metaphors, um, has that significantly impacted on religious beliefs? Well, you know, the two things you're not supposed to talk about at a cocktail party are religion and politics, and that's because they're really the same subject. <laughs> well, so, they are today, they, that's for sure. They are. Well, they always have been. And in the United States, there's a lot of debate about what constitutes truth, right, and truth statements. So you find something similar in terms of historical study and religious belief. Historical study is, at least in theory, concerned with the cold, hard search for truth the facts of what happened in the past, as slippery as that can sometimes be. And if that confronts our theology or our church beliefs in, in difficult ways, then we have a question that every believing Christian or Jew must ask themselves, which is, do I accept the findings of historical study and adjust my religious faith accordingly, which I believe is the right response, or do I reject historical study because it threatens or undermines church beliefs of my own? Um, I think we should not be afraid of historical study, and, and pardon me, historical study will not undermine either Christian or Jewish faith, but it might present a different version of it. It might give us new views, views that I think uh, open our minds and are good for us. But so, as a rabbi I, of many congregations... Um, in many different parts of the United States, have you found as both a historian and a spiritual leader that the individuals in the pews can make that transition from a kind of um, faith not necessarily based on historical evidence to a faith that has to confront historical evidence, in the same way that you're suggesting that knowing about the first century of the kingdom of Judea would give Jews and Christians a greater sense of their own origins, um, of the modern religion that they call Christianity and Judaism, for the modern worshiper, does this history... Um, move them closer to a path of faith, or does it confront them with so many questions that simply get in the way of becoming a faithful adherent? There's a different kind of faith, and one might even say it's not for everyone, or it's not everybody's choice. Uh, there's a different kind of faith that comes when you accept the outcome of historical study. Um, even though the center of my study, because of the course I was teaching, was on the Jewish world of Jesus, uh, doing that historical study caused me to confront 
that some of my most cherished myths were reconstructions which came from one or two or three centuries later. So they were different versions of the story of my heroes, Hillel, Rabbi Akiba. And so I had to decide, you know, I like those stories, but I had to put them in the context. What I think of as an advancement in our own religious understanding, if you look at the sayings and teachings of that we discovered through historical study, and we ask, what did these teachings mean to the people who said them, and even more significantly, what did they mean to the people who wrote them down in the form we had them, often a century later than the characters, what did it mean to them? That can give us tre- tremendous insight into the origins of our faith, which I think can strengthen it, but in a new and different way, sometimes challenging. Well, it's certainly a more arduous path you're suggesting. I mean, it certainly would be easier to accept the words of either sacred text as we had um, understood them as children, or perhaps young adults, um, or perhaps simply as believing adults, and you're suggesting a much more challenging path. Is that a path that um, many people are willing to um, begin with an unknown end? Sometimes the hardest thing to give up, and I'll use an American example, is not religion but Santa Claus. Uh, so, so, so you're a supporter want... of Robert Frost, the path less traveled. <laughs> yes. So okay. let me see, not everybody will choose that path. I think it's a wiser path, and some people who choose not to take that path take the path of secular agnosticism because they find that, say, the stories or uh, myths of traditional religion impossible to accept at face value, and, and so they simply reject religion. But I think for such persons, if they would study our religious stories in a historical manner and come to realize their significance in context, that they could find a path back to faith which is evading them now. So I think it can actually strengthen religion for many people to engage in historical study. But, but people need a, a simple access to that, and that's why I wrote my book. I found that in Lives of Jesus, there were many academic books which are historically accurate, but not very readable. And there were many other simple Lives of Jesus which were posing as history, but were really more fictional. So I wanted to write a book that was accurate with the, the best findings of historical study, but also readable and accessible for intelligent people who are not professional historical scholars. So our time is running short. I do want to give you an opportunity to um, remind the listeners of the name of the book and where they can access it. Um, It's entitled uh, The Jews in the Time of Jesus. Jesus. It's published by... Paulist Press. Very important to mention my publisher, Paulus Press. That's why I wanted to do that for you. And they can access it um, from Amazon, either Amazon.com or Amazon.ca. And I bet it comes in both the original and the electronic versions. I'm not sure if it's available electronically. It might be Ah. recently. But uh, they can certainly get it. It's in a quality paperback. And they can certainly get it through Amazon. Um. Also, my book, The Seventy Faces of Torah, 
which is published by the same publisher, and gives insights into the way that Jews understand the Hebrew Scriptures. Christians often wonder, since Christians find Jesus Christ in the Hebrew Bible, why don't Jews find Jesus Christ in the Hebrew Bible? And my publisher asked me to write a book which would explain that to Christians. So that would be the 70 Faces of Torah. And we can use that as a basis for another conversation. Another um, time. Yeah. Another time. I don't think we have, um, my producer tells us we have about 45 seconds, so I don't think we should enter into that conversation now. I want to thank Rabbi Stephen Weiland for joining me this morning on Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. You can access this uh, show either from the CHRIFM um website there's a podcast there or you can go to itunes in which you can find the podcast of jewish faith and jewish facts this is rabbi stephen garten wishing you a good morning thank you again rabbi wyland and shalom thank you and shalom Shalom. 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 Shalom.